Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome off the post. I'm Russ Cullen. We've got Anthony Mangione. Ant, how are you? Voice is a little rough right now, but uh, otherwise, uh, doing fine, Russell. Yeah, you know, it's end of the season for you. I get it. And we've got Michael Jello. Mike, how are you? Good evening, gentlemen. I am well. No bowling tonight, Mike? <laughs> no, bowling it's is 10 over. 10 o'clock, Russell. <laughs> bowling is over. The season is over, and I have no idea how we finished. What do you mean you had no idea how you finished? I missed, I missed the last I missed the last week of bowling, and that was what they call position week, and I don't know what position we ended up in. I'll, I'll find out when I go to the just, banquet. No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're just going to assume your position. <laughs> okay, never, never mind. Wow, what a great teammate you are. Okay, anyhow. Um... <laughs> Speaking of which... We'll we'll start with the uh, Philadelphia Flyers, and they we added will. like more coaching this week, another layer. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I got a lot of texts, and everybody was so worried about who's doing what. But I, I will say this, Ant: like any corporation that could just spend to sort of try and justify their position right now, that's what they're doing. Because like Ian Perrier, I get that he's not behind the bench. But essentially, yeah. what the job that they've described for him is really a pro scout. And yeah, it, 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 that was my exact reaction to it. The, when you're saying, when you were the quote-unquote eye in the sky and you're doing <laughs> pre and post and everything else that he's involved with, they're basically, it, it, obviously, there's a lot of organizational respect for Ian LaPerriere. Um, yeah. And it, it's entirely, and I'm going to say this, it's entirely possible in this circumstance that this may be a role that he may be much more suited for. Um, We don't know. We don't know for sure, but invariably they were, they seemed again, as an organization, they were loath to let Ian go. And again, we'll see how he performs again in this, in this role. So we got to remember, and Mike may not know this. We've seen him from where he was running rookie camp to Mm -hmm. being an assistant to, I'm going to say running the PK, although it wasn't really running. No, no he, that was his. That was his responsibility. No, I know. Was I'm making a joke. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. So, so he's, and, yeah. and he's going to be the he's going to be the eye in the sky, and he's not even a member of the Alan Parsons project. <laughs> exactly. So we have exactly that, right. and then Michelle Terrian is there that's now. That's the part that's interesting. Now, the, the, the responsibilities I find are fascinating, and to me. It's almost the way they, they, they've almost been juxtapositioned based off of their known quantities and reputations. Yeah. So you have, obviously, Michelle handling, in this case, you would normally think with his defensive reputation, oh, he's going to be handling the defense. No, he's going to be handling the forwards and the power play. 
Right. And Mike Geo, on the other hand, who's probably a little bit you know more known for the offensive aspect of uh, of hockey, he's handling defense and PK, which I do kind of think and wonder that uh, I was I was I was really going to be fascinated if if Tarion was going to handle the defense. The idea of the interactions between him and Shane Gostaspare would have been utterly fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Needless to say, but in this circumstance, that's obviously not going to happen. And to me, it also reads as, since these are not the accustomed roles that these guys have reputations for, this is obviously another way for them to kind of put on display their acumen for future head coaching jobs and say, hey, see, I I have a reputation as this, but I did this with Philadelphia, and if I have any success with that, that obviously works in their favor. So that's the, that was kind of the impression I had when I saw um, what when, when I heard what the the uh, the responsibilities were going to be for the in, the new incoming assistant coaches. Mike, it will either be a resounding success or a head scratcher. I mean, what, what's your feeling? Yeah, and there's no way to really know. I mean, it's, it's no. a combination that I mean, like I said, when I, when I heard the announcements, it's like. Did Elaine Vigneault make these choices, or did Chuck Fletcher? Because you've got Yo, a former head coach hired by Fletcher, and Tarion, uh, who was in Pittsburgh when Fletcher was an assistant GM. Um, I'm assuming that Vigneault signed off on this, but it's a it's a weird. You know, they said the conference. report that, that when they had the conference call the other day, Mike. They said this was now obviously this is the public part of it, obviously, but that they both both of them together had you know, basically had the input. But again, at the same time, it's obvious that with Terrian's history uh, mm-hmm. with Fletcher and obviously Yeo from his time with the uh, with, with Wilkes-Barre Scranton, these are guys that, you know, there has to be a certain level of comfort there, I think. The Terrian part is was fascinating. The Yeo part I was, a, I was a little surprised by. But again, it was, again, as much a case for, I believe, you know, either of those two guys trying to show potentially to other teams that, you know, if they're going to have coaching jobs in the future, that they're going to be able to do certain things that are outside of what you would be believed to be their what has been their previous comfort zones. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Optically, it just looks optically. It just looks like more of a more Fletcher leaning than Vino leaning, but you never, you never know how it's going to Mm -hmm. work out. So it'll be interesting to watch that. It will be. I mean, this is something where we've we've never really seen a team do it like this before. We've seen teams hire at least one guy with head coaching experience, but like <laughs> they're gonna have like every coach is gonna have head coaching experience. And I get it, like it works in the NFL, but it doesn't always work in the NHL. So this is Anthony, this is gonna be like a test study. It really will. Oh, it will be. I mean, it, it, and the, the part that's really fascinating is just the complete 180 for staff composition that we're seeing here and that yeah. under Ron Hextall and Dave Hextall, one of the things that really caught us by surprise with a, a brand new, you know, straight out of college hockey coach was we always kind of assumed that there was going to be an experienced hand, a former head coach, you know, a, guy, a potential like a Terry Murray type or someone like that that was going to you know, kind of help guide, you know, at least the initial part of Haxall's journey. And instead, we had a coaching staff that was completely, you know, bereft of head coaching experience. Yep. And now at this point of the team's development, they've gone completely a 180 here and now have basically three head coaches. 
Yeah. And so, and it's, yeah. It's such, a, it's such, it's, it's, and honestly, in many ways, it's, if I want to say it's your typical flyers move where they don't, they don't just change it a little bit, they change it. Yeah, they really <laughs> rewrote it. Turn the car it. around in the other direction, exactly. Yeah. Well, they, re- I, I they guess rewrote they, everything. I, I guess you can say one thing, though. It's better to have three head coaches like Philadelphia has than no head coach like Buffalo has because that this can that continues to be sort of an unmitigated embarrassment and disaster in in, uh, in the Queen City because you know you're it's May the tenth and we still don't have a clue who the Sabres head coach is going to be and every time you hear a name a day or two afterward well we didn't interview that guy it's like I mean the, the, the list has grown and shrunk in the in the span of about two weeks I mean the way I see it Mike it's it seems like they won't have a coach until maybe the end of the month. Yeah, well, Botterill's, uh he's part of the Hockey Canada management team, and he's over in Slovakia watching that team underachieve. Um, so, you know, by the end of the month, he'll be back in Buffalo. They weren't the only one. And, the U.S. team did, too. <laughs> well, yes. And, and, you have to, but, uh, and we'll talk about the World Championships if you want to, but I just, uh, you know. But, but anyway, so he's over there, and I, I don't think an announcement's going to be made until he gets back, and that won't be until, uh, I think, like the 24th or 25th, around Memorial Day. So, yeah. I'm setting a timer. We, we will talk for a minute and a half about the World Championships, and whoever wants to chime in can chime in. They don't have to. I'm going to start it right now. The only thing I can say about the World Championships is when you have teams like the U.S. and Canada, it's a matter of who goes and who doesn't and who's beat up and who isn't and who's bringing their family and who isn't because it just seems like at times guys are just playing half speed. I mean, I get it's bigger ice too, but you could see that the, the until the final game, the checking's not even close to what it would be, and a lot of times the puck retrieval is not close to what it would be, except for guys maybe playing for jobs. Uh, I will say that looking at the U.S. <coughs> roster for goalies, it might be the <laughs> weakest I've ever seen. I would say that watching Canada play, when J.A. Marchessault is like one of your better players, maybe your third, fourth best player on the ice, that's they were never good. Walking that game, my God, that was just. Well, I watched replay of that, and it was just like, <laughs> if, a, if a hockey team could sleepwalk through a game, that that was the definition of that. It really was. So it's hard to get excited. Capo had a great goal. That's fantastic. It's still not going to change where he's getting drafted. So actually, I don't blame play, people actually, if they don't watch. Prior to the goal, Russ. Prior to the goal, actually, the play to get the puck up to, to Keiko was really well set up. That was actually was, everybody yeah. got, and, and rightfully so, that, that Keiko's goal literally scoring on one skate was, yeah. was, pheno- was the phenomenal play. But the yep. setup on the play, actually, it was almost the player was turned the wrong way and somehow managed to just get a sight on him and managed to get that puck. Between, I think, I'm pretty sure it was between the legs. It was a, a between the legs. It was a between the legs pass. It was an amazing pass. So that was an impressive pass and scoring play. So that was at this point now, for in terms of world championships, that play was probably my highlight. And everything else is kind of like um, wake me at some point when the game's over. <laughs> and we get it. Like we know it's important to European fans and everything else. It's just when the NHL playoffs are going on, 
and this is like the off day, and we're just looking for some hockey, it just doesn't deliver. It's yeah, we, didn't, we didn't find it. We were, we were looking for hockey, and we didn't find it. I mean, uh, honestly, if, if I was going to give a short answer about my point of view on the World Championship, it would be three, word, three words. It's a joke. Uh, okay. my, my, my longer explanation is when you hear, and Darren Drager talked about this on Toronto Radio this morning, when you hear that the recruiting for Team USA wasn't like everybody was clamoring to go over to Slovakia, it was the fact that Patrick Kane was calling people in his Rolodex to recruit <laughs> Americans to go to Slovakia. You know that this tournament is a joke. It's it like, may not hey, bro, you want a free vacation and, and hang out and right. play a little hockey? Yeah, it's it's come on. I mean, unless they move it to a different time of the year, which they're never going to do, it's always going to be this way. Canada and U.S. will pay lip service. They'll send over the players that lose in the first round. I can't, you know, honestly, other than a few years ago when Line A and Matthews were sort of vying for attention on the on the international stage, the World Championship has always been an oh by the way thing, and it's it's always going to remain that way for me. I have my final thing on this, and, and you could say something or not, but there was an interview done in between periods, and I forget the name of the reporter, but she asked, she, she actually referenced Dylan Larkin saying, well, this is your fifth world championship, and immediately my brain's like, that poor guy. Five years, he hasn't even yeah. had it. I he's mean, it's not three, five years for the playoffs, because he was making it before yeah. he was a, a Detroit player, but that's bad. Yeah, exactly. It's just it, it, it becomes as much a uh, a, um, a a discussion about where the Detroit Red Wings are as much as it is yeah. for Dylan Larkin's uh, performance. I'm sure he's like, yeah, the less I see these guys, uh, the better, the happier I'll be. Yeah. So anyhow, we move on. We're going to talk about something a much much happier. We'll we'll talk about the Leafs. Um, <laughs> You, you say that with a hint of sarcasm. Well, I mean, the biggest Leafs news is that John Tavares is injured for, like, the whole summer. Okay, I mean, at least there's news. I mean, Mike, what else do you have? Well, well I, okay, first of all, it, it doesn't sound like it's that serious of an injury. It's an, it's an oblique, but they didn't say it was a tear. And even if the worst-case scenario, I mean, all it will cost him is, um, you know, off his off-season a lot of off-season workout schedule. I mean, it doesn't again, it doesn't sound serious. So, you know, Matthews. So he's going to be a, on a deck chair in Oakville. That sounds terrible. Okay. But there we go. No, the actually the, the injury, and I wrote about it this today. The the injury that's going to be the impact move is is the uh, shoulder surgery to Travis Dermott, and he's going to be out for six yeah. months. And you would think, you know, a guy who's on your bottom pairing is not that big of a deal, but. You know, with the exodus, likely exodus of Jake Gardner, and you know, uh, uh, Ron Hainsey uh, qualifying for Medicare, um, I don't. You know, they they may have to re-sign Hainsey. They got. Uh, they, yeah, you know, they probably have to, depending on whether he wants to come back or not. Whether he'll get a two-year deal, and I don't think the Leafs will want to give him a two-year deal at 38 years old. But you know, does this? accelerate the the uh the calendar for Rasmus Sandin and for Timothy Lilligren and Callie Rosen down with the Marlies or probably. does this force or, or does this force Kyle Dubas to do what he has probably needed to do since he took over as general manager and get a top four defenseman he got Muzzin but now you have one leaving and now you have to get another one yeah I I think they'll be trying <clears throat> to get another one 
I think out of Sandine and Losergren, they'll give them both a long look in camp. And you know that Mike Babcock's coming back because it was formally announced. You know, beyond that, I mean, there's. It's interesting because you would think by now with the Leafs that they'd be a little bit more settled, and still there's a lot unsettled there now. Injury is because is the biggest reason because of it, but still, you know, you got the potential Nylander and or Kadri trade. Like this is this might be their biggest off season since the tank. Because you know, saying that they were going to tank and doing it was big for them. It, get, it got them good results. Now this off season could be Mike Babcock's last. Like it could literally cost him his job if they don't live up to expectations. And I don't want to say they're in the same boat as the Columbus Blue Jackets, Mike, because they haven't toiled as long. But with the way the pressure is in Toronto, it's almost like that. Well, I mean, you know, Hyman and Dermott are going to be out until November. That You wouldn't think that doesn't, that sounds like a big deal, but Hyman was the left wing on their number one line and is probably their best two-way player, so his loss will be felt. But they have a lot of forward depth in their organization, so I think they can cope with that. The, the Dermott injury, as I said before, is, is something that Dubas is going to have to react to. I, I just find it hilarious because we, you know, when we did our last show, I jokingly talked about Babcock and Edmonton with Ken Holland going there, and then Darren Drager and McKenzie came out within 12 hours and started openly speculating about that possibility. And within six hours of those rumors, Dubas came out and said Babcock is back. It was almost like he was leaving it out there to to have – you know, Babcock sweat a little bit about his position in Toronto, and as soon as maybe something was going to gain momentum like Babcock potentially going to Edmonton, then he shut the door on it. Ant, any uh, feedback? Uh, in this circumstance, no. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. So we move on. Let's talk about refereeing in the playoffs. That's another happy subject. You can go to Twitter at any given moment and get some instant feedback on that. You could get texts or talk to family and friends and hear instant feedback on what's a penalty, what isn't a penalty. Like, we can't even, we wouldn't even, we don't even have enough time on this show to hash out all of the calls, Ant. But as a whole, I don't think there's been a worst year for refereeing for the NHL so far and ever in the playoffs. No, it's been pretty. It's it's been. We always there's always going to be complain complaining about yeah. the referees, and we all we know that. But I think this off season or this off season, this postseason, um, there's been some just egregious, egregious call, uh, call miss, missed calls. The Hamilton thing the other night was just like you have got yeah. to be kidding me. I'm yeah. watching that play going. You call that. And I can come up with a number of things that they've completely missed on. Yet that gets called. No, it's 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 something that the NHL I think very much needs to kind of take a closer look at here in terms of. And I get the game, the I get the speed of the game and everything else. I, I understand all of that, but you have, then in that circumstance you have to create new standards in certain cases or expand on existing ones. I think. So that so that we get better performances here, because there's just been far too many too many 
boondoggle moments, and this is the only good describe them where you just your mind is blown. Yeah, Mike. I mean, you you were pretty vocal on Twitter. People really got to you or were saying stuff to you to the point where they even tried to disgust <laughs> you and call you a liberal. Like it got yeah. to that. Yeah, they, they, they lost all they lost all sense and reason to actually call call me something that would be probably the biggest insult you could say to me. But anyway, uh, but no, um, I, I it's funny because like normally I am not one to be you know crying and moaning about the about officiating. Although ninety three and Doug Gilmore and Gretzky, you know that will always be. Part of the part of my vernacular, but that being said, there's no ignoring, and I and I I zeroed in specifically on Boston. I mean, everybody knows the worst call right now in these playoffs was the Eakin call, uh, the 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 five minute major on Pavelski, which was completely undeserved. But if you look at just the Bruins, and I'm sure there are other egregious calls during this postseason, but if you look at just the Bruins in the Toronto series. The knee-on-knee with Kadri from, from Jake DeBrusque, which sort of started it down the road, and then Kadri lost his mind and was legitimately suspended for something stupid. The punch by Zdeno Chara to John Tavares in Game 7, completely missed. Then in the, in, the Carol, in, in the Columbus series, the McAvoy hit to Josh Anderson, which was called a two-minute minor instead of a five-minute in a game which you don't know how that changed. And then last night, I thought a number of instances where they called him the minor, the retaliation minor on Dougie Hamilton after uh, Corrali hits uh, Svechnikov at center ice, that probably should have been called a penalty. It's borderline. But then Hamilton gets the retaliation and then gets called for hitting David Backus where he doesn't crumple him against the boards. He doesn't hit him from behind. It was a face-to-face hit, and he pu- and basically pushed him down, and they called that a penalty. The, the officiating in these playoffs have been absolutely horrific. <clears throat> I have nothing else to add, although I'm going to react to something. So now, somehow, because of another podcast I do, Stick to Hockey, I am now on this Twitter timeline for an offer sheet with, I guess, this one would be like flyers, given an offer sheet, maybe capping in. Okay, so I'm going to mention the offer sheet thing one more time because I think... Braden Coyne. (laughs) Well, here, Anthony, it's interesting because we're starting to hear, well, you know, you're not going to do an offer sheet for a guy like Marner because you're going to give up all those picks, but... You might do one for a guy like Happening because he's only going to make $4 million and you only have to give up like a second-round pick. But the one part that people always forget about, and at least the OMP puck, puck cast, I give him credit, put that, the player actually has to sign the sheet. Like People That's think true. an offer sheet is like, hey, I'm going to just give that offer sheet to that team and now they have to react. No, the player actually has to agree to the deal first. Yeah, and, and I, right. can, may, may I point... May I point something out before Anthony responds? Say, for sure. example, because you've heard we've heard Kapanen, and we've heard the talk about well, if you offer him four million dollars, okay, the compensation for a uh, contract of up to four point two million is a second round pick. 
Right. Don't you think that Kyle Dubas will match that? Of course. Yes, he will. Bingo, exactly. So it doesn't make any sense in this circumstance. If you're going to, honestly, if you're going to offer sheet, you should, it should be in a case where you're going big. It just has to be. I, I, in, that, in that circumstance, otherwise, to me, it's got to be in a spot where it makes it uncomfortable Right. For the other team to do so, you know, I hate to say you right. have to shave Weber principle, but it's the same principle. That's like a me, Dan Boyle uh, Rangers contract. It has to be uncomfortable exactly. like that, or you know, or what, or you know, it's, it's not going to be something along the lines of Bob Clark's uh, Ryan Kessler offer sheet <laughs> you know, way back when. If you remember that, how, how well that one went over. Yes, like a like a lead pull balloon. That, pull, pull that one. Pull pull that one out out of uh, of antiquity. <laughs> and how fast. And how fast Vancouver whipped around and uh, and matched that offer. Yeah. No, that's so, true. Yeah. And, if you're going to do it, it's got to be for somebody major. It's got to be in a spot where you're going to make it uncomfortable. And you have to be willing to sort of bite the bullet in that circumstance too, which, again, that's to me the time to use it. If the opportunity is there and you know that the, and you've got some word, the negotiation really is grinding to a halt, that's when you have to, that's when you have to jump on it that's when you have to make it difficult, make, make the decision difficult. Right. And one more thing to add, and this again is something that seems to be lost on some fans, is so not only does the player have to sign the sheet, but like, you know, recently if, if, if let's say Dallas moved on the playoffs and the Rangers got that extra third, first round pick from Zuccarello, everybody's like, well, then the Rangers could just kick in their first pick this year and go shopping, you know, like the shopping cart's full. And it's like, no, they have to be their own picks. Picks that you acquire from other teams don't count in this. Because it has to hurt. Like you said, the league knew that. And And that's another reason why you generally don't do it. Because in this era, all that's going to do is just kill your future and put you in cap trouble at some point. So you really exactly. have to win it, the cup. It, it, it still emphasizes the fact that you have to, at the end of the day, the right path should be your own cost-controlled talent. Now, it's tough to keep right. everybody, agree. It is. But that should be the base. And I think an offer sheet in most cases, at least this is my opinion, should be a case where, you know, you're kind of, kind of hitting the wall, your team's been competitive for a little bit, and you're trying to get that one part that you think is going to get you necessarily over the top. I think it's kind of sometimes a little bit more dangerous when you're in Philadelphia's spot and they're sort of on the edge, sometimes making it, sometimes not. So yeah. it can work. I think it can work if it's, the, but you better. But it has to be for it has to be for a player that you're absolutely convinced is going to be a major difference maker for you going forward. That you're, you know, that you, in in the long run. You bite the, you're still biting the bullet from losing all those picks, but the end result for the current roster is your window flies wide open in terms of your opportunities to contend. Well said. Okay. Which is why ultimately, I think the, yeah, so which is why ultimately, just one last answer, why ultimately why I think the threat of the offer sheet really comes down to, in this circumstance, trying to work out a trade before it gets to that point. So Right, right, and that right. is what happens a lot of times too. Okay, so now we get to the portion where Maybe we talk about beer or food or something. And so right now, summertime's kicking in. Not in all places. I understand Chicago's having some real crappy weather. and I mean, Buffalo always does. It takes them a while. So them exempt from all the weather talk. 
we're in ice cream weather now. And not to be outdone by the dill pickle custard, I, I found an ice cream from a company called Cool House. It's a, uh, it's a new, new brand, that, a new flavor that's on the market. And this one is balsamic vinegar, cheese, mascarpone, and fig. Is the mascarpone the primary cheese in there, or is there a different cheese in no, there? No, no, that's it. Mascarpone is the primary that cheese. That works. Mascarpone works. Yeah, which is cre- which is basically a cre- cream cheese, but a much exactly. better, much better. Exactly. Right. Okay, I'll grant and you that. It's, and it's not balsamic. It can't. It's not. It can't be balsamic vinegar. It's, it's balsamic, balsamic vinegar, Mike. That is the ingredient. Okay. Well, bo- bo- I'm sorry because a balsamic reduction or balsamic. Syrup, they didn't call it a reduction, Mike. Well, it, it's got. It has to be because if it doesn't it have is, to be, it's no, no. <laughs> it does not have to be. It is a balsamic vinegar, and it, it is in a I'm, swirl I'm going form. I'm right now. It's Cool House, it's called. Cool House. Yes. Balsamic. Let me see this thing here. Balsamic Fig Mascarpone Review. Okay, here we go. So order, let me get to this thing here. So <laughs> I would never, ever, ever, if this was on my list. Mascarpone Fig. I'm looking at it right now. Let me see. Now, here's the thing. Now, and I mentioned to you before, so it's, a, it's balsamic glazed. Yes, California there you go. figs in Marshall ice cream. Ugh, so they're, cal- so they're, gl- they're glazed California figs in Marshall ice cream. I okay. actually would give this sucker a shot. I well, you're again, you're the okay, that's fine. And, and now, <laughs> now, now, understand one other thing. One of my favorite desserts ever. You, you, know, this, you, you, this, you may get whatever reaction... But I will tell you, as one of the most amazing desserts I ever had, was at a Japanese restaurant in Center City, Morimoto, in Philadelphia. We had some. We had something called a wasabi tiramisu. Mm-hmm. Oh boy! And it was amazing. Man, I don't know because about. Late, no, I'm telling you, it was a very light, very light dusting of it. Okay. In the tiramisu, and I'm telling you, it it gave it just a little bit of that of, of that effect. But mostly sweet, and that's kind of, and that's the key there. You you get a little bit of that effect, but it has to kind of work. And again, it's one of my most favorite dessert, like surprise desserts I've ever had. Okay. So that's I mean, why I'm not going to rip you for it. I mean, it's going to be, yeah. And I, you know, I, for my own, for my own personal use, I make a balsamic reduction, which is basically, you know, you take balsamic vinegar and you put it on, put it on the stove, add a little sugar to it, and it caramelizes, and it's basically like syrup. It's sweet it's got a little bit of a tang to it because it's it's vinegar but it it's really good and i i have put that on vanilla ice cream and it tastes delicious so mike should i send you a a quart of this (laughs) no i mean i would try it if we were lisa you're all talk no action that's what you send me pay for it i'll send send it to me i'll eat it i'll try it send it this this is one year this is this yeah this this one actually actually has my attention. This would be yeah, interesting. Bring it to bring it to Vancouver. We'll eat it there. <laughs> yes, we'll find it. We'll go oh, shopping we'll at. Oh come on, in Vancouver you'll find some other freak show uh, thing to put to eat there. So no, but that's fair. <laughs> we'll 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 go find this in Vancouver and yeah, I, and, and we will try it. You'd find a marijuana mascarpone there. <laughs> <laughs> I just. 
I'm sorry. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> don't even know what to say. I just, if we find it, I'll try it. I can't imagine I'll like it, but I knew that Anthony might like it because of the general cheese snobbery. Work. That that was a guarantee. Oh, no, again, it's, it's mascarpone cheese, so it's like a dessert cheese to begin with. Yeah. It's cream. You use it in cake. Use it in cakes and everything at times. Yeah. This is something I grew up to grow up with. The yeah. fixed part is going to be an interesting. Now the fixed part is going to be an interesting texture. That's the make it or break it part for sure. That's going to be interesting. That's the fi- Yeah, that's the part that I'm honestly. Be that's, that's the only. That's the only part that I'm a little hesitant on. Yeah, well, because here's the thing. So when you when you have your spoon, right? And they said that the balsamic is swirled. So let's just say it's sort of like the core ice cream that you get in Ben and & Jerry's, and, and maybe the mascarpone's great. It could be. But I put my spoon in there, and while I get the mascarpone, I get a big hunk of fig, and I see, like, the, you know, the little spits in there. I'm not eating it. <laughs> I'm throwing it on the ground. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'll try it. I'm not doing it. It's yep. like, you might as well, this is... I would rather eat crickets. <laughs> I would rather okay. eat chocolate covered crickets. Our ne- and, and, and that's and that'll be our next uh, our next feature <laughs> on next week's off the post. Yes, I'm <laughs> here on the Food Network. <laughs> All right, that's it for off the post. We'll catch everybody next time. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.